It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode discusses murder and possible domestic violence. If you or someone you know is struggling with domestic violence, please call the National Hotline at 800-799-7233. The surveillance video is chilling. At first, all you see is the back room of an eatery. A Dunkin' Donuts, to be more precise. Specifically, It's the Duncan on Arundel Mills Boulevard in Hanover, Maryland, in northwestern Anne Arundel County, south of Baltimore. The floor is made up of brown square tiles. Several large metallic racks stand to one side. One holds a tray on which a smattering of fresh donuts sit. At the far end of the space, 
there is what looks like a metal door right beside the oven used to bake the donuts. A spray bottle rests on a silvery shelf or table right next to the oven. The space is narrow. Then, two figures walk into the frame. The first person to stroll into the picture is a man. He's wearing a white polo shirt, a brown hat, and a brown apron, all part of his Duncan uniform, along with jeans, sneakers, and plastic gloves. He appears to be wearing some kind of a headset. In his right hand, he's holding a smartphone sideways, like he's speaking into it on the go. You don't get a clear look at his face, but he appears young. Then there's the woman, following closely behind the man. She's got her long black hair tied up in a reddish ponytail holder. She's dressed the same as the man. Brown hat, brown apron, white polo shirt, jeans, and sneakers. She looks young, too. She seems determined to follow the man. He slips past a garbage bin topped with what looks like a flattened cardboard box. She carefully moves the obstacle to one side so she can follow him off camera. There's something casual but pointed about the man's body language. He swings his arm as he walks away, not even bothering to look back at the woman. He seems to give off the impression that he doesn't care whether or not the woman follows. And so the two figures disappear, one after the other. The last glimpse we get of the young woman is through the metal slats of the tray holder. At the exact moment that the pair vanish, the timestamp on the video reads 21.32.09. That's 9.32 p.m. When the timestamp reaches 21.33.02, or 9.33, the man reappears. He seems to be walking a bit differently at first, He's somehow less fluid in his motions. But nothing appears seriously wrong. He's not obviously disheveled in any way, as far as we can tell. He emerges back into the area of the back room captured on camera. Behind the metal slats of the trays, he appears to turn his head to briefly look back, before marching onward. He quickly reaches out to the oven to punch a button with his gloved right hand. Then, he abruptly walks back where he came from. If you had no idea what you were looking at, it would all seem so normal. If you had no idea what you were watching, you'd probably think that the young man had just hurt a customer and left the young woman to continue whatever project she'd undertaken in the back room. But unfortunately, that's not the reason that the young man hurries away, or why the young woman never reappears. In the minute that they were off-camera together, the calm young man murdered the young woman. They were a young married couple, Badrish Kumar and Pollock Patel. They had traveled from India to make a life in the United States. They worked together at that Dunkin' Donuts. And then, on April 12, 2015, just after half-past nine... Badras Kumar Patel murdered Pollock Patel. And he's gotten away with it since that spring night. 
because we still don't know where he is. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the murder sheet, and this is In the Back Room, the FBI's search for the fugitive Badrish Kumar Patel. On the murder sheet, some of the cases we cover are unsolved, where the circumstances around a homicide or a disappearance remain unclear and the perpetrator is unknown. We also talk about solved cases, where murders are all but solved, where there are very few loose ends remaining. But the case we're going to talk about today doesn't fit into either category. It's a killing where we have a very good idea of what happened and who is responsible. We just don't know where the perpetrator is. And that's why we want to cover it. We feel that this is a case where the public, all of us, can potentially really help. In this episode, we'll be hearing from FBI Special Agent John Schaefer of the Bureau's Baltimore Division. He's going to share with us all the facts of the case and let us know how we can stay vigilant and potentially help to close this one out. When it comes to the two people at the center of this case, Badrash Kumar and Palak Patel, Schaefer told us that there is not a lot of information available about either. But we can fill in the basics. Back in 2015, Palak was 21. Speaking to Tim Pratt of the Capital Gazette newspaper, her family said that Pollock had worked as a teacher in India, where she'd been beloved by her students. Her husband Patel was 24 in 2015. He was born in Gujarat, a state on India's western coast. Back in 2015, he was 5 foot 9, with brown hair and brown eyes, and he weighed about 165 pounds. He turned 32 on May 15th of this year. The couple were introduced in August 2013. Their arranged marriage took place in November of that year. Here's Agent Schaefer. But in conversations with her family and his family, what we do know is that they were married in an arranged marriage in India about a year and a half prior to the murder and they had traveled to the United States on a visitor's visa in 
early 2014 and then again in September of 2014 on a visitor's visa. By all accounts, they were happily married. No family members have uh, told us of any you know, significant marital difficulties that they were aware of. They were a happily married couple and they had come to the United States in September of 2014 and began working for extended family members here in the United States, then eventually moving here to Maryland. So they originally came into New Jersey and worked there for a short time and then moved to Maryland here and were working for extended family at the Dunkin' Donuts in Hanover, Maryland. Still, there were a few signs that something was wrong. Approximately three weeks before the murder, Palak Patel's parents came to visit them in the United States. Again, they did not report any difficulties. The one thing maybe of note is they did kind of say that Badrash Kumar wouldn't let his wife kind of be alone with her family. Like he was always present, which stood out in their mind sort of in hindsight. But I think at the moment it, it didn't strike them as particularly troublesome. According to the Capital Gazette, Pollock's parents departed on April 7th. They had secured an agreement from the couple that they'd live peacefully and happily together, Pollock's aunt said. No family members or other witnesses have come forward with information indicating that the Patel's relationship was marred by physical abuse. The manager of the Duncan told the Capital Gazette that the couple seemed nice and normal and that he'd never seen any trouble between them. But, given what happened, it seems impossible to rule out the possibility of ongoing violence. According to the Capitol Gazette, Anne Arundel County Police did at one point respond to the couple's apartment, which they shared with Patel's cousin, over reports of a loud sound. There were certainly other issues, too. The couple's immigration status turned out to be one source of tension. As Agent Schaefer mentioned, the Patels were on visitors' visas. Individuals on visitors' visas are not permitted to work in the United States, so the Dunkin' Donuts gigs were against the rules. And what's more, those visas had expired at the time of the murder. Pollock Patel was apparently very upset about remaining in the United States under those circumstances. Mr. Bhadrash Kumar and Pollock, his wife, were working uh, a night shift, 12-hour shifts, with then a cousin and his wife working the, the day shift, 12-hour shifts. So it was, you know, four individuals in pairs working 12-hour shifts is kind of how they were set up working there at the Dunkin' Donuts. So the way things transpired, as best we can understand, the night of the murder is that Pollock had been on the phone quite a bit, and, and our surveillance video shows that. She had been on an extended phone call with her family that evening in which she had said she wants to come back to India from the United States. She had actually purchased plane tickets at that point and and had plans to return to India. She did not want to stay illegally here in the United States because her visa had expired at that point. And at some point during the evening, Madras Kumar took the phone from her and talked to her family and said something to the effect of, 
no wife of mine is going to leave me or my wife isn't going to leave me to return to India. Then some time after that, he, he was on the phone with the family and set the phone down before murdering his wife in, in the method that's, that's been put out there. At the time of the killing, the married couple were the only two people in the eatery. This Dunkin' Donuts, which is still open in Hanover, sits in a small shopping outlet that also includes an Aldi, a PetSmart, and a Staples. Unlike all those businesses, though, the Dunkin' operates in a structure several feet away, its own little island in a large parking lot hemmed in by trees. In other words, there was seemingly no one there to hear anything at the time of the killings. This worked to Patel's advantage. On April 19, 2017, the FBI posted a YouTube video explaining that Patel stabbed his wife multiple times, with her relative still on the phone with her. The video quoted Anne Arundel County Detective Kelly Harding, who said, The scene was very brutal, and she died in a horrible way. That's the kind of person we're dealing with. That he could murder his wife, and then the next minute, just calmly walk away. Police also apparently have footage of the murder itself. For obvious reasons, they have not, and will not, release those images. Police told Crime Watch Daily that customers began to notice the absence of any employees in the store. One notified an Anne Arundel officer, who happened to be sitting nearby in his patrol car, writing up a report on an unrelated matter. At 10 p.m., the police officer initially entered the crime scene in the back room of the Dunkin' Donuts and discovered Palak Patel's body. Here's Special Agent Schaefer to explain how the FBI got involved. As far as the FBI's involvement, the way things transpired is this murder happened late at night on April 12th. And as soon as it became evident that there was a connection outside of Anne Arundel County, which is where we live, and Anne Arundel County police is who responded to the crime scene and conducted the murder investigation. As soon as it became evident there was a connection outside of Anne Arundel County, and specifically an international connection, Anne Arundel County got uh, State Department involved and Immigration and Customs involved and began to make notice that, hey, this person could be fleeing the area. And then within a day or two, we received information that he definitely had fled the state of Maryland, which then makes him eligible for what we call a UFAP warrant, which stands for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. And so as soon as we received information that the individual had fled Maryland, had left the state of Maryland, and he was charged with the murder of his wife, then we applied for a federal UFAP warrant, which is just an additional warrant on top of the state warrant as a mechanism to help locate and extradite an individual wherever they are eventually located. The sequence of events and the identity of the perpetrator was clear. The only thing left to do was to apprehend Patel and charge him with his wife's brutal murder. The wanted man had enjoyed a solid head start on the authorities. 
the FBI and Anaranda police began tracing his next steps. Uh, when you watch the, the video, it is somewhat striking how calm he appears. Immediately after the murder, he appears to punch a button on the oven, presumably to turn the you know oven off, and then departs the Dunkin' Donuts by a side door and returns to his apartment where he gathers cash and other belongings, changes clothes, and then walks back towards the murder scene and grabs a taxi or hails a taxi at a business nearby or in the same vicinity of the Dunkin' Donuts. During the cab ride, he's described as sleeping the majority of the ride from Maryland up to uh, New Jersey. Patel walked out of the donut shop and headed back to his nearby apartment on foot. He put on new clothes, gathered some personal effects and cash, and walked over to a line of cabs gathered at a nearby mall. One thing that's especially striking about this story is how cool-headed Patel remained throughout the entire incident. He killed his wife in a brutal fashion, and then was able to immediately jump into the task of fleeing from justice. We asked Agent Schaefer what we could make of Patel's eerie calm. The cab driver who drove him said he was calm and and collected during the drive, and he said he was going to visit a cousin and that he slept most of the way from Maryland up to New Jersey, where he was dropped off at a Best Western Hotel. As far as what you can make of it, I'll I'll leave that for for somebody else to maybe interpret, but but he he definitely seems like he, he has, at least in that moment, some type of a plan of what he's he's going to do. In Newark, he paid cash for a room and was captured on a camera standing by the front desk wearing dark pants and a dark blue shirt. He checked out the next morning. Now, we come to the last confirmed sighting of Patel. On April 13, 2015, he took a shuttle to the nearby Newark Penn Station or Pennsylvania Station. What we understand based on an interview with the shuttle driver is that Butterskumar Patel got on the hotel shuttle from there at the Best Western, and he was the only passenger to ask to be taken to Newark Penn Station. The driver dropped him off, and at that point, we don't know where he goes or what method of transportation he used. Newark Penn Station is a kind of a transportation hub where there's all all manner of transportation available, buses, trains, commuter trains, taxis, all manner of travel available from there. And unfortunately, we don't know what he did after being dropped off. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, 
out, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's R-O dot C-O slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He arrived at Newark Penn Station at around 10 a.m. So let's review the options Patel had once he reached Newark Penn Station. To be clear, that's not Penn Station in New York City right near Madison Square Garden. This beautiful Art Deco station is based in Newark, New Jersey at 1 Raymond Plaza West. As a side note, Newark's Penn Station was designed by McKim, Mead, and White, the celebrated architectural firm that bears the name of murder victim Stanford White, whose case we talked about in our 42nd episode, The Crime of the Century, that aired on August 17, 2021. Of course, this building was constructed decades after his death. Anyway, once he went inside Newark Penn Station... Patel could have opted to take a number of different train lines. The Bureau of Transportation Statistics estimated that this station was the 14th busiest Amtrak station in 2014, with a total ridership of 677, 175 people. Let's get into the train angle for a second. On a purely local basis, the two segments of the Newark light rail intersect at this Penn Station. The Newark City subway segment swings up to Grove Street, while the shorter extension would have gotten Patel up to the city's Broad Street. Then there are the lines that allow for travel throughout the Garden State. The station connects to New Jersey Transit commuter rail, specifically three lines. The Northeast Corridor line runs from Penn Station in Manhattan, New York, to the Trenton Transit Center in New Jersey. The New Jersey coastline stretches from Bay Head on the Jersey Shore's Gold Coast to either Hoboken, New Jersey, or Penn Station in Manhattan, New York. And then the Raritan Valley line also could have taken Patel westward 
all the way out to High Bridge, New Jersey, not too far from Pennsylvania. So, he was within reach of New York City, Trenton, Philadelphia, Atlantic City, and just about everywhere in between. And that's just if he took the New Jersey Transit commuter rail. But the presence of Amtrak worsens the situation quite a bit. Newark Penn Station is a stop for some long-distance Amtrak trains, including the Keystone, Virginia, and Atlantic Coast services. If he made it to New York City's Penn Station, Patel had even more options. And we're going to get into the weeds here. Patel could have hopped onto the Empire service and ridden it all the way up to Niagara Falls, New York, just across the border from Canada. The Pennsylvanian or the Keystone services would have borne him westward, to Philadelphia, Harrisburg, and Pittsburgh. He could have swung down to Atlanta or New Orleans on the Crescent Line, or headed to Richmond, Raleigh, or Charlotte on the Carolinian. The Silver Service or Palmetto Lines could have sent him from New York to D.C., and then on to Charleston, Savannah, Jacksonville, Orlando, or Miami. The Vermonter could have taken him between St. Albans, Burlington, Springfield, and D.C. The Acela could zip between Boston, New Haven, Philadelphia, Wilmington, and Washington, D.C. The Cardinal would have taken him from New York to Washington, Charlottesville, Cincinnati, our own scenic Indianapolis, and Chicago. Patel could have easily ended up anywhere up and down the eastern seaboard or even into the Midwest. If you want to really sketch out every possible scenario, you could also argue that Patel could have gotten another cab. He could have hitched a ride or met a friend or relative who drove him away. Or he simply could have walked off. Those options seem much less likely. We'll also add that Newark Penn Station is just three miles from the city's bustling airport, although he would have needed identification to board a plane. The trains afforded him far more anonymity. The second Patel stepped off that hotel shuttle, it's almost like he jumped into a portal between worlds. He could have gotten pretty far on the railways alone. Here's Agent Schaefer. There are plenty of ways to travel with simply presenting cash and obtaining a ticket without any sort of identification. According to Amtrak's own rules, passengers must produce ID when asked by crew members or police, or in certain situations involving ticket exchanges or refunds. And random ticket verification checks do take place. I'll tell you that I've traveled on quite a few Amtrak trains in my time. A conductor has always come around to check my ticket. I've never been asked to produce ID, nor have I ever heard of anyone else having to give their ID. Still, investigators tried hard to trip up Patel's flight from justice. In the immediate aftermath of the crime, the FBI did everything from booking a billboard in Times Square with Patel's image upon it, to adding Patel to the no-fly list. He still somehow managed to elude capture. In their 2016 special dedicated to this case, Crime Watch Daily speculated that it's likely that Patel has lingered in the United States, given that traveling by plane requires photo identification. 
and of course walking across the border into Canada or Mexico, poses a heightened risk of capture. In 2017, however, in a press release put out by the FBI, Agent Schaefer said the Bureau was looking into the possibility that Patel could have fled to Canada and then returned to India from there. There are a few areas where Patel has known contacts, specifically his extended family. On the international side, we're talking about Canada and, of course, his native India. Domestically, he's been linked to Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, and New Jersey. So all of those places are places of known extended family, and he certainly could be there as well as kind of anywhere else. We don't have any good leads on where he could be hiding, and that's why we have requested the, the public's help and tried to get this individual out in the media to help to increase awareness and try to encourage people who, who may have any information about him or may know him and not realize who he is to get his name and face out there so that they can get a hold of the FBI or their local law enforcement should they have any information. Because at this point, it seems like he could be anywhere, certainly not just the, the locations of known family members. Our obvious next question was whether or not Patel's relatives have cooperated with the investigation. Yes, yes. The, his known family members have been talked to, interviewed, and have been cooperative and, and continue to be cooperative. And, of course, Pollock Patel's family has been involved in working to close their loved one's case from the get-go. The victim's family continues to stay in touch with our local law enforcement partners, uh, Anne Arundel County Police, who made initial contact with her family, you know, immediately after the crime. And they will regularly check in to inquire as to to where things stand. So they, they do remain engaged, definitely. Given the possibility that Patel could be anywhere after eight years on, this case has taken on a distinct international angle. We mentioned Patel's connections in Canada and India. We also know that Interpol was contacted about this case early on. So anytime we receive information in the United States, we'll reach out to the local law enforcement in that area to request help, kind of chasing down whether there's any actionable leads in that area. And then when international leads come in, we'll reach out to our international law enforcement partners who will provide records and, and conduct interviews. So, so we've, we've worked with law enforcement in Canada, India, England, South America, all, all over the world in, in trying to vet out uh, the information that we receive. Agent Schaefer did not want to speculate too much in our interview. So this is coming from us and not him. But if Patel got out of the country, we imagine it couldn't have been on a flight we imagine he'd have to cross on foot. Then again, illegally crossing borders could be a swift way to get captured. He could still be here. We asked Agent Schaefer about what his life may look like now. He could be in hiding. He could be hiding in plain sight under an assumed or or new identity. All, All options are possible at this point. So what exactly can the public do to help secure justice for Palak Patel? The biggest thing that the public can do is make a phone call to 1-800-CALL-FBI 
or go to the website tips.fbi.gov or by simply calling their local police department. Should they think they have any information about Mr. Badr Kumar's whereabouts? There's currently a $100,000 reward available for anyone to supply information leading to Patel's capture. But keep in mind, the FBI does consider this fugitive to be dangerous. Here's Agent Schaefer. Simply by virtue of the crime he committed and the nature in which he committed it, he would be considered dangerous, yes. To allow you to get a good look at Badrish Kumar Patel's face, we'll link to his wanted poster in our show notes. Please try to remember what he looks like. That could be the difference between justice and years of unanswered questions for Palak Patel's family. Here's Agent Schaefer. It's been more than seven years since this crime was committed and since Mr. Patel fled the area. Uh, it's been more than seven years that we've been looking for him. And the family deserves closure in this case uh, and deserves to see him prosecuted for the crime he committed. And, and so we would just ask that anybody who thinks they have information about Mr. Badrash Kumar Patel's whereabouts, that they would reach out to the FBI or to the local law enforcement, because we can certainly potentially use the information they have to help bring him to justice. The fact that Badrish Kumar Patel is still a free man should trouble anyone concerned with justice. Palak Patel was a 21-year-old young woman trying to make her marriage work and find a better life for herself. Speaking to the Capital Gazette, Palak's family described her as a very innocent, generous, and caring person who loved her old job teaching, as well as reading, traveling, and watching television. She had her whole life ahead of her to explore those passions, develop a career, and start her own family. Until the man who was supposed to share a life with her decided to take that opportunity away from her forever. If you have any information concerning Patel, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. Thanks to Agent Schaefer for his insights, and thanks too to the FBI's Baltimore office for their assistance. We cited a Capital Gazette feature written by Tim Pratt, along with a Crime Watch Daily special, and we'll link to both of those in our show notes. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, 
please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.